Hello, and welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 51. And yes, I have a cold. Sorry about that. Today, Brian and I are taking a look at Haggai chapter 2. We look at Haggai's prophecy in verse 6. Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. We look at the context of those words and how those words are referenced in the New Testament and the book of Hebrews and what they mean for us today in our context. Before we get started, just a quick reminder that you can find us at thebiblebistro.com, on Instagram and Facebook at The Bible Bistro. You can watch us on YouTube as well at Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. If you're watching us there, don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button. We've also set up a Patreon account, so if you're enjoying the podcast and would like to support our continued work, you can do that. You can find a link for that in the show notes, but also by going to the website, thebiblebistro.com and clicking on the link at the top. If you can't financially support us, you could also support the Bistro by simply sharing the podcast with others or leaving us a review on Apple Podcast. That helps us as well. All right, let's jump right into our conversation discussing Haggai chapter two. Hey, Brian, welcome back hey, to the Bistro. How are you, Ryan? You doing okay today? I'm doing it. I've got my coffee. Yeah, you know, we're on the road with the Bistro. We we're actually, are on the we're road. actually in the same room for the change. We are. Yeah, that is a change recently for us. And we actually got to sit at a table together. And yes, we enjoyed delicious food. We went to the Mad Goat Coffee yeah. in Danville, Illinois. Illinois. Yes. yes. There's two locations, I understand, but we were at the south location. We were at the south location. I think that's more of the... It started in the north, but the south has become the mothership. Oh, really? Okay. Great, great coffee, good food. Yes, I, mean, I had an Asiago cheese bagel, which is a boiled bread, for those of you who are listening, who... <laughs> Pointed out something to us in a previous episode. Anyway, I, you tried to point it out. I almost said you that. You almost said something. I didn't want to. I just said boiled bread is gross. You always say that I make you look foolish, so I sometimes censor myself. <laughs> what Brian is saying is he censors himself at all times and <laughs> all places in my presence. All right. Anyway. anyway so, but I had I had a scone, which yeah, was very nice. Yes. And so anyway, we, we're fueled. We're mm-hmm. hyped. We're ready. We're here in Danville. Yeah. We're... Yeah, Second Church of Christ. Yes. Uh, our our friend and uh, past uh, interviewee, what do you call it, a guest? <laughs> I'm censoring myself right Greg, now. Greg Taylor has been yeah. on. He's a he's a, a frequent listener of ours and a supporter of our um, podcast uh, in terms of his sharing it. <laughs> so. If you haven't subscribed yet, um, we have a Patreon if you'd like to contribute to our our efforts here at the Beast Show. Just kidding. Anyway, anyway, yeah. So we're here today. We're going to do some stuff with him later. Yeah. Not for not for the Bistro. We're going. He's got a radio show. We're going to yeah. be part of that. But yeah. um, that's why we're here today, and we're going to chat with some other pastors this right. afternoon as well. But Excited we're, we're taking this time to be here at the Bistro. The Bistro is a state of mind. You yep. know, we're here. That's right. And we're going to continue a conversation. Not continue a conversation. We're going to have a conversation about how, how did you call it in our notes for today? What, what's the <laughs> a whole, lot, whole lot of shaking going on? A whole <laughs> lot of shaking going on. So for those of you who don't know Brian personally. All of life revolves around songs, well, mostly obscure artists as yeah. well. What you need to know is that what you really need to know about me is I'm horrible at, at naming things. <laughs> That's the big I thing. I can confirm. <laughs> well, I'm poor with details. 
you all right oh, anyway well anyway so I, I came across this i've been in in my so one of the things i do in my in my ministry is uh teach adult sunday school on sunday mornings mm-hmm. um and teach usually teach through a book of the bible or some theme or something like that and so um what I've been doing recently is teaching through the book of Hebrews. And I'd never I'd never really taught through the entire book of Hebrews in this kind of a format. And so it's been really interesting. It taught me a lot about it. There's some things I've noticed that I never noticed before and I was just reading through. And I came across this last week. We were in the last half of chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12. So we're getting toward the end. We've been mm-hmm. in, in it quite a, quite a long time. Uh, while, and I was struck by this one quotation that the Hebrew writer uses from the book of Haggai, the Old Testament minor prophet Haggai. It's uh, in uh, chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26. I'll, I'll just read this. The Hebrew writer says, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, and here's a quotation, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And that's a quotation from Haggai chapter two. I was just struck by that image of shaking. And this idea that every once in a while there's shaking that happens. There's a there is a um, uh, a shaking of things that 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 takes place, and we see that in Haggai, and that's kind of what this Hebrew writer is promising for the future. And I kind of want to look at it in context. I, that image just every once in a while I get one of these images, and it just kind of strikes you and it makes you makes you really think. Um, so I, that's what I thought we would talk about today. Okay, so this is this is the shaking we're speaking of. A yes. whole lot of shaking going on. Yeah. That God is shaking. Um, the earth, heavens, and the earth. Not heavens. only the earth, but also right. the heavens. Right. So let's look. Let's look at it in context. See what the Hebrew writer is saying, and see how this fits in with what the the book of Haggai was saying. So, you know, we always when we're doing this, we like to also kind of teach some of the principles, some of the things that we do. Um, in, in looking at a passage like this. Now, that's just one verse that I looked at. So I always say it's always important to look at the context, right? What's mm-hmm. the what's mm-hmm. the literary context that's going on here? And that always starts with thinking about the purpose of the book of Hebrews. And and this is, of course, I, you know, I've been teaching this now for several weeks, and so we've talked about this a lot. The book of Hebrews was written in order to encourage Jewish Christians to remain in their faith. Uh, it, it seems like there was a persecution going on. And, and here's the thing I think we have a hard time understanding in our context. Uh, when some of these early people became believers in Jesus, especially the, the, in the Jewish community, when they became believers in Jesus, it meant kind of a rejection by their family and by their entire community. Right. Uh, it, it, you know, they were they were very closely bound together by their faith. Uh, you think about their their year revolved around it, their practices, where they ate, the way that they ate. Holidays, everything. Everything fit around this. And so when they became believers in Jesus as the Messiah, we see an example of this with the Apostle Paul, who mentioned specifically that there's only a few of his family members that are believers in Jesus, that that Paul seems to have been kind of an outcast from his community uh, because he, he was a rabbinic student, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, Pharisees yeah. but, but when he came to Christ, all that he says, now I can they're rubbish. All that was kind of put put aside. And so what became very difficult for these early Jewish Christians is to continue to maintain their faith against the pressure of their you know, families, their community, really trying to basically bring them back into a practice of, of Judaism, a rejection mm-hmm. of Jesus as the Messiah, practice of Judaism. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. And so you see all kinds of Old Testament images and mm-hmm. and, uh, and and examples. The faith, famous faith chapter in chapter Hebrews chapter 11 is a listing of all these uh, Old Testament characters and the way that they exhibited faith. But, but here's the important thing in thinking about the purpose of this book of Hebrews is that's really what he's trying 
trying to do. He's trying to talk to these Jewish Christians and encourage them to um, stay firm in the faith. Now, the reason I mention that, there's a couple passages in Hebrews earlier on. We're not necessarily going to talk about these today, but uh, earlier on in the book of Hebrews, there's a couple passages that have caused people concern for years. Christians have have read these, and they've they've read them in a way that kind of was really kind of frightening. One of them is chapter 10. You might remember in Hebrews chapter 10, basically it says uh, it, it says something to the effect of, um, you know, if you have, uh, uh, you know, trampled under the foot the Son of God, if you've rejected him, then no no sacrifice for sins is left. Uh, back, right. in, back in uh, Hebrews chapter 6, there's a passage that says, uh, once you have uh, tasted of this heavenly gift and you've turned away, there is no no longer any repentance. It would have been better if you'd never believed at all. E- exactly. And so... so you know, every once in a while, I'll get someone who come to me, and they'll be afraid, and they'll be like, you know, I was a Christian, and then I kind of, you know, we we use this term backslid, and then now I'm coming back, but I read these passages. Is it possible for me, you know, because I was a Christian and then I rejected Christianity, and now can I come back to it? And here's where the purpose is so important. I, I think the Hebrew writer is emphasizing these things because he's saying to these Jewish Christians, if you go back into Judaism and you reject Jesus as the Messiah, then you're rejecting this work that God has done uh, in, in through Jesus in order to bring us um, redemption of, of sins, in order to create this new community of people around him. And, and so that's what he's really talking about. And so, again, we read it from our context. That's why it's so important to understand the purpose first. Now, I, I know when I start talking this way, people are then like, well, you're always like, so what? You know, does it do I am. I, I am because I think it matters. It it's, absolutely does. And so I start talking this way and people like are saying, well, is this book for us at all? And I would say once we understand the principles at work there, then there's absolutely application for us. Things about, you know, when we read the book of Hebrews, it talks about us standing firm in our faith. It talks about, you know, the importance of understanding, you know, what it is that Jesus has accomplished for us, understanding against this context of the Old Testament sacrificial system and the temple. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I'm always talking mm-hmm. about the temple, uh, all these kind of things. So that's that's yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, so I, I taught through Hebrews not too long ago uh-huh. with our small group, and I, that was always, I think it's Hebrews 1 where it talks about drifting away. And like, right. I, you know, I looked at these commentaries, and yeah. it's like, it's this idea almost like a, a boat, like a water, yeah. but, you know, and it's yeah. just talking about the cultures and the things yes. pushing against them. It's just one of these things of like, you have to be almost rowing against it. You're right. rowing against the cultural, yeah. the, 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 what you've grown up in, like Paul, what he's grown up in, and it's just like, be careful. And it, yes. it, making those connections of, this will keep pushing you back until you are almost rowing against it. It would have been very difficult. I think that's the thing I'm saying we have such a hard time understanding. It would have been very difficult to have become a convert to Christianity in, in that first century. And like like you said, there's that that constant kind of pull of mm-hmm. you back into the community. And so then it seems like this community is facing some kind of persecution. And that's really, he begins chapter 12 talking about that Hebrews chapter 12. So imagine that now you're being persecuted for your faith and, and that's going to make that draw all the, all the stronger. So the Hebrew writer is very concerned with making sure that this community stays true to, to following Jesus as Messiah. So that's, that's the big context of the book as a whole in chapter 12. We have kind of a broader context. There's an image in this last half of chapter 12. There's this this idea of this image of two different mountains. Uh, and it's kind of an interesting image. Again, Old Testament language here. And, and what he's doing, if you look at Hebrews chapter 12, 18 through 21, he is contrasting Mount Sinai. 
Uh, what, what, when you think about Mike Sanier, what was it famous for? What was uh, that was where the law? Okay, that's where Moses went up and received the law. Mm-hmm. And so Mount Sinai kind of stands for the law and all that goes with it. We can think again in this context, kind of the the idea of the Jewish uh, worldview, the the Jewish community, and the contrast is with Mount Zion. So Mount Sinai and Mount Zion are these two mountains, but it's not just Mount Zion. Of course, Mount Zion is the mountain in Jerusalem. That's where the temple temple stood, Mm -hmm. right? It's not just Mount Zion, but he specifically calls it, we'll see. I'll I'll read this in here in just a minute or have you read it maybe. Um, It it calls it the heavenly Zion, right? So it's, it's Mount Sinai, this idea of the giving of the law contrasted with the heavenly Zion. In other words, what Christ has accomplished as the temple, as the sacrifice mm-hmm. in order to, to make us this new community. And so that's what he's contrasting here in this entire section. He's saying to these, to these Jewish Christians, do you want to go back into Mount Sinai and all that it represents, or do you want to uh, continue to enjoy the heavenly Zion that we are a part of now as God's people? So read, this is Sinai. So these, these it's really kind of a cool uh, literary image he uses of these two mountains. Read this in 18 through 21, if you would. Uh, this, yeah. is, this is Mount Sinai is what he's talking about. Yeah. He doesn't use the word here, but I'll, I'll tell you why yeah. this is what it this is. This is uh, NIV as well. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it beg that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. So there are several quotations here and allusions, not necessarily even quotations, but allusions to the Old Testament from the book of Exodus, uh, the, be- the beginning of the giving of the law, all through, all the way through the book of Deuteronomy. There are several different references here that this Hebrew writer is making, and all of them are to Sinai. So the first thing is, as the Children of Israel, you might remember, they escaped Egyptian captivity. The whole Red Sea thing had happened. They were now coming up to the north from from the Sinai Peninsula mm-hmm. to this mountain that was that, that God was directing Moses to, and that was the, going to be the place of the giving of the law. As they approached it, they hear these noise, these thunderings, and they see this smoke, and they see you know all of these different images on this mountain. And, and what it's really standing for is the presence of God. This is the place that you're going to meet God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so so it was a, a frightening thing for them. And there were commands given. They weren't supposed to touch the mountain. No animal was supposed to go up on the mountain. Only Moses was the one who was supposed to go up to, to uh, be in the presence of God. And in the book of Deuteronomy, reflecting back on this, Moses even says, I was trembling with fear because mm-hmm. of this idea of coming into the presence of God. And, and I'll just say, it is a powerful thing to come into the presence of God. I mean, it's not something to be taken lightly. Right. Uh, and so that's that's Sinai, though. But now here's the contrast. And, and again, this is, this is talking to these Jews. Jewish Christians and trying to, to get them to stay true to their faith. He says, so it's not this this mountain, this, this frightening mountain that you've come to, but verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. Notice these descriptions, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, which is a very interesting phrase we may come back to, whose names are written uh, in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, that's talking about the blood of Jesus, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, which is an interesting uh, interesting kind of uh, phrase. There's several, I mean, I'm not real, the points through here are really not to talk about Hebrews 12, but there's a lot of really cool mm-hmm. stuff here. But he's describing this idea of 
like I said, not Mount Zion in Jerusalem, but the heavenly Zion. In other words, what Jesus has accomplished as he gathers this new community in this new covenant. So the contrast here is between the the old covenant, if you will, mm-hmm. the, the law, the new covenant promised in Jeremiah, but now Hebrew writer uses this phrase, new covenant. Um, by the way, that's where we get our words, New Testament and Old Testament. Testament and covenant are very similar kinds of language. So so it's that idea of this new covenant that Jesus has made with his blood. Now, again, the whole book of Hebrews has already led us up to this, that, mm-hmm. that this is, this is um, you know. He's it, a different high, kind of high priest. He's a different kind of sacrifice different as well. Sacrifice. Not the, the blood of bulls and goats cannot effectively deal with sin, but Jesus has offered his own blood. Here, I'll, I'll just mention this because because I, I will go back. One thing I forgot to say when we were talking about Sinai one of the, the phrases is that the people begged for Moses not to have God speak to them. So they heard all these noises, the trumpet blasts and all this kind of stuff, and they said, we don't want to hear it. You you go and get the message and then pass it on to us because we can't handle hearing God's voice. They wanted so they, Moses to be a mediator. So they Exactly. So they rejected listening to the voice of God, which is going to become very important in just a minute. Jesus now becomes the mediator then of a new covenant. Jesus is the one who, of course, mediates God to, to us. And as we've talked about previously, he is himself God. Which which means this immediate God's presence in our midst. Um, here's the just I just I can't I can't handle not saying this. <laughs> so he sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. So that's an interesting phrase. This idea of the blood of Abel. Um, and if you think about it, Abel's blood spoke. Mm, yeah. Do you remember that in, yeah. in Genesis? Do you remember what the whole context was? So so Cain killed Abel, right? right? And then God comes to Cain, and he, he, he killed him because uh, Abel's sacrifice was considered acceptable and Cain's was not. There's jealousy, we understand. The first murder takes place. Cain kills Abel. And uh, uh, God comes to him and he says, you know, where is your brother? Of course, Cain's famous response is, am I my brother's keeper? And uh, then God says, the voice of your brother cries out from the ground, right? And and basically it was calling for justice, right? That mm-hmm. that there was this unjust killing. So so this kind of if, if you think about the Old Testament law kind of summarized in this well we call it the lex talionis, the 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 eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and life for life, right? Mm-hmm. That that's the that kind of just, you know, justice. Mm-hmm. Of course the new covenant is that Christ's blood is speaking about forgiveness and speaking about grace. And so so it's just kind of an interesting that juxtaposition between justice and love and mercy. It, exactly. And and again, as I've said before, I don't I, I think the, the Old Testament law is a system of grace, right? I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not trying to make a strong distinction here, but but the Hebrew writer is making clear that this um, that what God has done in Christ is superior is is the fulfillment is in a way of what the Old Testament law was pointing toward. The Old Testament law was teaching us, as Paul had said, uh, regarding uh, regarding this, um, you know, what it is that Jesus is doing. So all that's kind of kind of just to give us the context. And again, it's important to understand the context in order to understand what he's saying about this idea of shaking. And I know that's that was a lot. Any comments or questions on on any of that? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think that's. Hebrews has so much yeah. in it. I mean, Hebrews, I, I love the book of Hebrews. And when we went through it in a, in a small group setting, I mean, it was this constant flipping back sure. and forth, like, you know, the Melchizedek and, right. you know, like what the the priest offering sacrifice for himself yeah. and so forth. And that yeah. just that strong connection. I mean, you, you see that connection very clearly of those who would have understood the Old Testament, right. would have understood the law and everything that was required of it. Um, and then coming back to this, and I think, you know, talking about the blood there, um, you know, I think it's it's 
again, for us, it's always putting ourselves in the thing. Like you're pointing out that like the the blood of Abel spoke. Right. Like we would just say like, oh, you know, is it just language? But there was something where it said like God is saying the yeah. blood of Abel spoke. Yeah. And it was yeah. it was crying out for that. So I I I really appreciate pointing that out. That yeah. you know I could see the rest of it, but the the blood. I was thinking more of like, well, it's sin, and it's just sin mm. in general, but yeah. not like the justice piece right. of it. That that the. the, the right. The difference in those bloods. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. And yeah, you're very right. I mean, it, you really, and of course, it's true of the whole entire New Testament. That's what I'm always saying is people are like, oh, why do we spend time in the Old Testament? Uh, you know, we've just had a really great Old Testament professor on, uh, yeah. Michelle, she, Dr. Michelle Knight. And, and she even said, you can't really understand the New Testament. You can't understand that's, that's, the Old Testament. That's what I keep trying to tell people. And and we're going to talk about, uh, you know, you know, when we look at the book of Revelation, as we've seen, other things, you've got to understand the Old Testament in order to understand this message. And the book of Hebrews, of course, it's crucial. Let me look just a little bit at this narrower context then. So this is really kind of getting down. So so I say you start with the purpose of the book, you get into a you know the the kind of the general context, and then you get into a narrow narrower context. So verse twenty five, this is Hebrews chapter twelve, verse twenty five. We're getting up to to this verse twenty six that we're really spending time on. And here's what it says: It says, "See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks." Now that's going back to that idea of Sinai that they said, "Oh, we don't want to hear this. We don't. We mm-hmm. we we can't handle the voice of God." And, and now we have this idea that that God has spoken to us. And this is how the Hebrew writer begins his entire book. In the last, in, in, in the former times, you know, uh, Jesus ha- or God has spoken to us in. Uh, uh, Prophets, various, various ways and various manners. Yeah, through the prophets, other ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us in His Son, and so here's here's this ultimate revelation of of God, and these Jewish Christians are in danger of leaving it, and He's saying, "Listen, don't be like that generation that wouldn't listen to the voice of God. Don't refuse the one who's speaking to you." Is the idea. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? So, so that idea, the voice from heaven, don't, mm-hmm. don't turn away from that. And here's, here's our verse. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he's promised, and he goes back to Haggai chapter 2, once more will I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Now, here's where I want to look at the Old Testament background, and then we'll, we'll kind of we'll come back to this. So this is quotations, Haggai chapter 2. Okay. So Haggai, I just say a couple things about it. Of course, a minor prophet. He's writing, uh, you know, the interesting thing about Haggai, he's one of the minor prophets that we can date the most specifically hmm. because he gives us four different oracles at three different times. He only, his ministry only lasts, uh, I think that, I think it's about four months, uh, less than a year. I'll put it that way. You know, I can't remember exactly. I think it's four months, but he will say very specifically, this, it happened in this day of this month, the, the oracle, the word of the Lord came to me in this way. Uh, Haggai is the second shortest book in the old Testament, right after Obadiah, if, mm-hmm. if you remember that. Yeah. So, you, uh, you know, you were joking when I said Haggai, Haggai too. You're like, oh, I haven't spent a lot of time. In Haggai. I, I haven't spent... <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of time to spend. I'm in not, Haggai. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not disparaging Haggai. I'm just saying like, yep, it's one you read and then you're you're moving along. So this is one of what we call the post-exilic prophets. So he's writing right after the time of the Babylonian exile. um, Of Judea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When 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 the the southern kingdom was taken into the exile in Babylon, then they come back. Uh, one of the things that they do, you might remember, Zerubbabel is one of the leaders, and his task is to rebuild the temple. Mm-hmm. Well, they've laid the the foundation of the temple, but then nothing else has really been done on it for seventeen years. And so Haggai, one of the reasons he's writing is basically to kind of light a fire under them and say, 
you know, we really should probably finish this thing. And uh, he's he's a contemporary with Zachariah. We think Haggai was probably a very old man. There's some indication in the book itself, in fact, we'll see a little bit of this, that he may have seen the former temple. Hmm. So, so in other words, he would have seen in 586, he potentially could have seen uh, the, the uh, temple in Jerusalem before it was destroyed. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, he's, he's probably a 70 or an 80-year-old man now. So he's an older guy. He, he, you know, the word of the Lord comes to him, and basically he's saying, we need to, we need to build this temple. And so that's that's the immediate context. There are four different oracles come come to him, and this one in Haggai chapter two it says on uh, in in the second year of King Darius on the twenty first day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai speak to Zerubbabel son of Shealtiel governor of Judah to Joshua son of uh, Zod- uh, Josadak the high priest and to the remnant of the people, and asked them who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory, so how many of you are left that remember the temple of Solomon is basically what he's saying. Right. And you'll remember in Ezra when they, or it's Nehemiah, where they, no, it's Ezra, isn't it? I can't remember. Ezra and Nehemiah. They were, originally they were one book, so I'll just say Ezra and Nehemiah and I'll be right. But... <laughs> With, all right, all right. When they built the temple and they dedicated it, Zerubbabel's temple, you remember that there's this this really interesting phrase where they say, and the people cried, the older people who remembered the glory of the former temple mm-hmm. were crying, but then the, the younger people who had never seen the temple, who had been waiting for this moment, were, were shouting for joy. Mm-hmm. And so there's this kind of mix of, of emotion there. And that's a similar kind of thing that he's saying here, this idea of the glory uh, of the former temple. Uh, and he says, how does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jodazadak. So that's the high priest, and Zerubbabel is the leader of the people, kind of the, the descendant of David here, by the way. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted. This is what I promised with you when you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. So this is an encouragement for them to uh, to rebuild the temple, to continue this rebuilding of the temple is what he's what he's promising here. Now, here's where we're getting to this quotation then that the Hebrew writer uses. So that's the context. Oh, it seems like I end up in the talking about the temple, I know, but I think <laughs> It's it's, an, it's a really an important concept. It really concept. is. And, and when you start to see it, you start to see it everywhere. That this was the place, again, for the Jewish people, this was the place, the people in the Old Testament, this was the place where you drew near to God and where your your sins were forgiven and you were able to draw into the presence of God. So for them, it was a crucial thing. New Testament, like I said, we've seen over and over again how Jesus is compared to that. He, he fulfills what the temple was pointing toward. And then we have this future promise, of course, of us being together now. Uh, that's what I think the Hebrew writer is pointing to, so we're going to see. But here's, here's what it says in verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations. So he's kind of giving this, this promise. He's looked back to Egypt. He said, you know, remember mm-hmm. what God did before for us. And in other words, God has been on our side. Don't be afraid. And now again, he's going to shake all the nations is the idea. And this idea of shaking is kind of what I want to talk about. Uh, you know, we think about earthquakes. We think about this kind of idea of a shifting of foundations and, and all that. Um, and, and so shaking can be a time of fear, if you will, you know, it's it's a time where even the things that seem to us most solid are are shaken. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, let's face it, we all feel that that way sometimes, right? There are times oh, yeah. 
in our lives as as individuals, but also as communities of faith, right? There are times that are they're shaking, and we're kind of like we don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Past two years uh, dealing with the the pandemic and the fallout from the pandemic has been very difficult for communities of faith. I mean, it's been very difficult for churches uh, throughout this nation, and there's been all kinds of things that have been upset. Uh, I use an image, and this is you know we've talked about metaphors before. I use the image of shuffling of the deck. I said this is going to be a reshuffling of the deck, but we could also say this is going to be a time of shaking. Right, this is going to be mm-hmm. a time where things are shaken out. Here's the other part of the image that I kind of think about, though, is uh, I remember <clears throat> spring cleaning when we would have rugs, you know, not wall to wall carpet, uh, <laughs> but I'm old enough to remember rugs, and you'd take those out and you'd you'd shake them, right, or yeah. you know, you'd put them over the clothesline and beat them. Even mm-hmm. um, I can remember when mom would use uh, really nice tablecloth, and then after. It was over. She gathered up by the corners, and she'd take it and she'd shake off all the crumbs, all all the all the yeah the the filth, right? The mm-hmm. stuff that needed to be done away with. That's the whole idea here, and I think that's the idea of the shaking of the nations here. I will shake all the nations, and we'll come back to the Hebrew writer, and we'll see that that's the way he uses this idea. But I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. The desire of the nations, of all the nations. In other words, what it is that the nations have been longing for. Now, <laughs> that's kind of a funny thing to say, but I'll go ahead. Well, let me go a little bit further, and then we'll come back to that idea of the desire of the nations, because I think it's an interesting phrase. I will shake all the nations. What is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. So he's talking about the temple, right? And, and here's the promise. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. So again, this is why why I think, among other people at Haggai, probably knew Solomon's temple. He's saying, I'm promising, Zerubbabel's temple doesn't look like much now, mm-hmm. but there's coming a time where this will be even greater than the, than the house of Solomon or the temple of Solomon. Um, and, and, and in this place, he says, I will grant peace. And we'll come back to that then in just a minute. This is what the mm-hmm. Lord Almighty says. So... So that idea of the former temple, the, the 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 future temple being greater than the former temple, I think, you know, we could see that as fulfilled in Herod's temple in a way, because because that we still call this the second temple, as I right. mentioned before. Yes. Zerubbabel's temple becomes expanded upon. Herod begins building it and and expanding it, and it becomes again this glorious place. So you could see the fulfillment in that, but that's not as a, as a Christian. And as a reader of John's gospel, that's not how... <laughs> that's not what he was ultimately pointing towards. I think he's ultimately... What do you think? Pointing towards Jesus. I think that's exactly right. He's pointing toward this this temple, this this means of being God's presence in the midst of his people. And then, you know, I, I talk about Jesus a lot as the temple, but then you got to remember he's also creating this this house around himself. First Peter calls calls us, we are all like living stones being built into a spiritual house of worship, right? So... Jesus is building this temple that is his body, mm-hmm. right? So his physical body, but then his spiritual body, the church that he's building around himself, that's going to have a greater glory than even even Solomon's temple. And, and that's what I think he's pointing toward, that that God's people in all times and all places now, what we call the kingdom of God, is being built into this temple through Jesus, through what he accomplished on the cross, as the Hebrew writer says, um, you know, that that's that that ultimate promise we have of this of this glory. Let me go back to Desire of the Nations. We talk a lot about music on this 
We yes. we do. I usually I sing sometimes. And, well, let me see if you can <laughs> sing this one. Oh boy! So, so do you know this this song? Well, I, I, Desire of the Nations, come. I don't believe. Come, that I, Desire of Nations, come. You don't know that song? I don't. I, we sing it every year. Christmas time, we sing that song, right? Okay, sure. I don't. What? Hark the herald angels sing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't. I don't the know what you're saying. I fourth, don't know. The fourth verse. <laughs> oh. <laughs> come, desire of nations, come. I don't know. I don't, we don't. Fix in us thy humble home. It's, it's... No, okay, okay. Okay. That's in the song, but that's like. <laughs> that's the beginning of the fourth verse. That's the last verse. Yeah, but verse. it's like, you know, growing up, it's like we're going to do verses one, two, three, and five. <laughs> well, there's only four verses, but yeah, I get what you're <laughs> you saying. Know what I'm saying. Like, I get what you're saying. We choose our verse, verses but that's here. The, that's the whole point of that Christmas card. I, I knew you wouldn't know it. That's that's the funny oh. thing, but. But I thought you tried to reel yourself in here, Brian. No, no, no I'm make... trying to. I'm trying to make you look foolish today. <laughs> but I, I bet, I bet most of our listeners wouldn't immediately think of that that song. But we sing it every year, right? Come, mm-hmm. desire of nations, come. That's from this passage in Haggai. So, so what is desired by the nations? Now, you know, it, it's an interesting time. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of news coming out of uh, of Eastern Europe right now, right? Mm-hmm. And changing by the day, uh, some some horrible things that we see there. Um, but but what is it that the nations desire? And, and I think you know ultimately what what the promise here is. He, he says, and in this place I will grant peace. That Jesus becomes the peace, right? He becomes the King of Kings, uh, Prince of Peace, the one who's going to rule over the nations. Um, the one who's going to going to make things the way that they were intended to be from beginning, um, where there will be peace, there will be um, you know this this uh, this promise of living together in community with one another, and so that's what I think he's pointing toward. That there's going to be this shaking of the nations, but then the desire of the nations is going to come. And and so you think about all the different kinds of upset that we face, the the shaking. Like I said, personally, uh, as communities of faith, but also we could say in, in our political world, in our in our uh, in our society, uh, we see this kind of shaking, uh, uh, shaking of the foundations. Now let's go back to Hebrews because I think here's here's really the kind of the point that I want to make here regarding this. So I'm going to go back and read now that we've looked at this in context of Haggai. And by the way, any questions there on Haggai chapter two or? Uh, no, I, th- I think that's, again, like you talk about that, is the the glory of Solomon's temple. Yeah. We talked about that in oh, a previous yeah. episode about yeah. Solomon and what he had done to his own people, yeah. even, you know, that split between the northern and southern kingdom. But, like, everybody was working to build, like, the beautiful temple yeah. and all this stuff for – some of it was for Solomon's glory and, sure. some of, and all of that. Well, but his, like, his, his palace, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the temple would have been – you know, it, incredible to see. And then right. you see this thing that he's saying, like, even the guy who's seen the old temple and right. all of its former glory before it's stripped and yeah. have everything taken into Babylon, and then to come back and say, like, you know, it's just the stones now. Yeah. And and so, um, you know, it's, it's a message for both both sides, people yeah. that have lived on both sides of that, that, like, there is still something even better. It's yeah. it's it's coming better and better and better and right. better. So yeah, have the courage to continue the work we're doing now because the promise is that God is going to give us something that's even going to be greater than what we can we can imagine now. Yeah, absolutely. Go back to Hebrews chapter twelve then, and let me let me kind of go back. So so don't refuse him who speaks to me. Um, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he's promised once more. And this is the this is the phrase in Haggai chapter two that that the Hebrew writer picks up on that once more. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Once more, I will shake not only the heavens and the earth, or earth and the heavens. The words once more, the Hebrew writer says, indicate the removing of what can be shaken. So that's what I was saying, that idea of shaking out your mm-hmm. tablecloth, doing away with the, the filth. That is created things, he says, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. So, you know, there's a way that a shaking does away with the kind of the the leftover parts, the dross, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's a way that shaking um, kind of uh, gets rid of the things that are that are just hangers on, if you will. And, and so that's, I guess, the encouragement for us, you know, as, as the same way Haggai is encouraging them to continue the, the temple. I would say even in these moments and in these times when in our congregations, things might feel like they're shaken, there's a way that sometimes shaking can make us let loose of the things that are less important and focus upon the things that that have an eternal um, foundation that cannot be shaken because mm-hmm. that's what he then says in verse 28 just to kind of just to kind of summarize and incl- and conclude therefore he says since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken so you know once the shaking has ha- happened and everything's been kind of taken loose you know I had mm-hmm. a car like this once I guess but you know <laughs> <laughs> Once everything's been shaken off, you see, mm-hmm. what remains is is firm. And so he says, we have inherited a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. I think that's where we go back to that idea of remembering what it is to come into the presence of living God. For our God is a consuming fire. And I think that metaphor, consuming fire, is a similar kind of image to this idea of shaking off what, what is left. First uh, Peter, for example, chapter 1, talks about this idea that our faith uh, is of great value being um, uh, uh, refined right with fire this like 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 precious metal this idea that the fire is burning away the dross it is burning away the things that are unimportant fire doesn't feel good right mm-hmm. being in the crucible does not feel good uh, being in a time of shaking does not feel good but the encouragement i think is to remember that in these times sometimes it, we are we are reminded of what is core and what is centered and the rest of it needs to be shaken off yeah, so and Hebrews is written, you know, we don't get any allusions to that the te- second temple has been destroyed yet, so it's probably before 70 AD, correct? It could be. Yeah, there's there's a lot of debate about okay. this. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, we, I don't have a strong opinion yeah, but either, it, either way. It, yeah, I mean, it doesn't reference that the temple's been torn down. It nope. makes a lot of allusions to it right. that, you know, maybe it's still standing. But, like, how yeah. important that message is, I think even for us, is, like, our eyes can deceive us about what's... Right. The, the God, you know, I, I was thinking about this as you were talking of... You know, as um, and Haggai, he's saying like, "Hey, you're it, it's going to be more, even though it doesn't look like something now." So he's speaking about right. sides of it, exactly. And then even this Jewish audience that has mm. gone to Christianity and like, if the temple right. gets on town, like, don't let your eyes deceive you. Yeah, like there is still something yeah. even greater. You know, it's kind of this. It's the message of Haggai twice, right? But one that's of it is that one is the temple erected, and one is the temple coming down. That that's very interesting. I never thought of that, but you're right. I mean, it's it's like, yeah, the 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 distraction for the people in Haggai's day was that this is not a glorious 
temple and in the distraction in in the Hebrew writer's day could be the gloriousness of the temple and putting your basically putting your faith in the building rather than what it is it's that the building be, stands for so to speak it's that, that's very I never thought of that that's a very good point Ryan yeah, so. I, I, well you see you talk and then it <laughs> stirs up something in me and I'm like I'm just trying to make these connections because I, I think good. that's really that's good that, that thinking about that that he saw the temple on both sides right and then you have these you know is <laughs> I mean is this almost evangelistic message to new Jew, to Jews that might turn to Christianity. I'm not right. saying that's the no, point. No, I get what you're saying. But yeah. like kind of going like you know, they're in mourning for a temple right. that has gone. Right. You see John maybe writing shortly sure. after that about the temple yeah. is Jesus and you have Hebrews yeah. coming and saying I'm tying this all up and then remember what Haggai said when he right. saw this like there is something even better. And so pointing right. beyond even the second temple and Herod building onto it and stuff but it's like no, Haggai's message was about something beyond and that, even yeah. beyond that. Yeah, and so, that's good. I like and that. I think that's, um, I, I don't know, for, for me, and we're, we're going to have more conversations sure. about, you know, things that have been going on recently in the world yep. and, and our little corners of the world and yeah. so forth that it's, it's easy to feel um, discouraged yes. and distracted. Right. And that the message of Haggai is still real for us. Right. If it can be shaken loose, then it it sometimes needs to go. Right. That's basically the idea. Yeah. yeah. And and what's and that God is shaking it for purpose. Yeah. So that the um you know, and I think that's at the end of uh Hebrews there, you know, for our God is a consuming fire. Right. Like right. God is as consuming the and I'm not I'm using this trash because i mean but it's not i'm not saying that's trash but kind of going things that are are not in his in his purpose yeah and it's i mean i think we need to need to take a moment there it's fine to mourn those you know it's it's shaking is painful you know being in the crucible is painful um you know but but it's a time to remember the things that are secondary and the things that are primary and uh you know let go like i said let go of some of those things that may be you know, you said distracting or standing in our way or however you want to put it. He, earlier, the Hebrew writer just, just comes to me. He says, uh, you know, put off the, the sin that so easily entangles us. Right. It, mm-hmm. it, and and the, the thing I focused on there is the idea of so easily. You know, it, it's, it's that, you know, it, it doesn't take much for us to become entangled in in things that are going to slow us down on the race right instead he says set your eyes on put your eyes on the uh, author and perfecter of our faith and so so there's are the pioneers the is the translation that's used in the niv but but this idea that we focus on jesus rather than the things that can distract and easily entangle yeah and and then last week we talked a little bit about revelation yeah of revelation 11 and like there is the shaking out but they're yeah. shaking out for purpose right. and where where the where is the church and the kingdom yeah. of God in that shaking? Yeah. What are, what is our call to do in that place? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's oh, this is great. This good. Is good. This Old Testament is good. Yeah. You know, it's just minor yeah. prophets. I'm gonna I'm gonna admit to it. You know, I don't spend a lot of time in Haggai, <laughs> and and I and I think this is an important piece for us. And I think it's again, I've I've said this. You know a hundred times on here. It's, you know, look at the references, you right. know, like, and, and, and if you look at, uh, depending on the, the version of the Bible you have, if it's got like dark letters, yep. where it's like referring back to the old Testament, but like, again, going back into that old yeah. Testament to understand like, what is, yeah. what is the Hebrew writer trying to say right. to us through and, this? And here's the thing. I think the the use of the old Testament and the new Testament is a big area of study. And, and it, what it really opened to me when I started, you know, and, and again, we're trying to kind of model, this is the way we should do things. And when we're reading scripture, the thing that really opened up to me is that 
you know, especially authors, the, the, the recipients of the book of Hebrews would have known this text well. They would have mm-hmm. known the Old Testament well. So it doesn't take much more than an allusion to it. Just mm-hmm. just that reference to, and they didn't want to hear his voice. They would have known that story. You know, mm-hmm. they, they they didn't need to be reminded of it. We, on the other hand, need to go back and do some of those, some of that searching. So some people say, oh, well, you know, isn't this kind of an unnatural way to do it? And I think it's absolutely natural because these would have been allusions that for uh, uh, the context of the people who are, especially in, in an oral culture, listening culture, would have been used to these stories. They would have heard these connections immediately, uh, whereas we have to kind of dig and do a little bit of work in order to get to them. And so that's, again, trying to, all we're trying to do is understand the way that this would have been heard by the original recipients. Right. And, and it's not, and, and this is one of the things that I think maybe we should point out, it's not just, oh, he's using words like that, but yeah. there's, an, and there's an allusion to the feeling yep. that these people had about this stuff. Stuff, right. That it's not, you know, we tell them to go like, oh, well, he's just doing it from the Old Testament and he's right. just trying to use, no, like they didn't yeah. just see it as a use of a sentence. Yeah. It was a, a use of the feeling and the context that that sentence it came in. It's evoked, like for us, yeah, yeah evokes. Like it's yeah. like for us, like we reference nine eleven. Yeah. It's not just a date. That's all you have to say, right? It's, it's all we have to say. Like yeah. there's a certain cultural, now, depending on the cultures that you go right. in, it has different feelings. But for, I think for a majority of People that were alive and watching yeah. the new, like nine eleven, has a very specific. Now, to a new person, you just say nine eleven, like, oh, is that yeah. is that you nine one one? Is that what I call? Or you know what I mean? Like it's just, but it's that yeah. there's that a call to a feeling of the right. time. Or, or you, you know, you, there's lots of examples we could use. If you know, if we talk about the Holocaust, I mean, that's all you have to say, and it, it, it evokes images and, and memories and thoughts. You know, even if memories we didn't have, but you know, yeah, the, we don't have to go back and say, well, here's what happened, and yeah, here's how this yeah. happened, and here's how you should feel about so, it. So, so that's why I go back and I always look at the greater context because, again, he's thinking in that, and, and you usually can see these kind of connections that that the author's making in in their mind as the you know, as the Holy Spirit, I think, is prompting them. You know, the image I think is that the Holy Spirit's carrying them along and walking alongside of them in this writing, not guiding their pen necessarily, but kind of, uh, uh, you know, bringing things to mind and leading them in particular ways. So, yeah, it's it's, it's it makes it, – for me, it makes it richer. That's I love the Scripture. I mean, I just love – uh, these these images that it evokes and the way the way we think about it. So. Yeah, I, and I think this coming back to this, it's almost for me, it's trying to envision what the person is seeing as they're saying these things. Right. So, so you know, we talked about this with the upper room discourse, right? When Jesus is like, and then they got yeah. up to leave, and talking about the the vine yeah. above the temple, and you know, kind of going, oh yeah, like I'm. It's almost like I. It makes so much more sense when I can yeah. see through their eyes, and then you you look at Haggai, yeah. and through his eyes, yeah. like what he's looking at and what he's what the community is feeling right, right there. And so, th- th- I mean, that's a problem for me. Like, right. and I think that's probably for a lot of people as we read through these Old Testament prophets and kind of going, what are they seeing? Yeah, and and how is what they're seeing and what they're saying that connection? Yeah. Because I think we 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 extricate it from some of that sure. context, and it's just words. But it's more than just yeah. words. We're always saying on here history. Culture, language, uh, the the and, you know today we're really illustrating kind of the importance of context, uh, thinking about the genre and the purpose of the book. All those are basically all they're all we're doing is trying to get back to that as close as we can to that that kind of original setting and and like you're saying, see it through their eyes as much as possible. I mean, it's it, it's never going to be a perfect process, but the idea that we just pick up kind of as a blank slate a text. 
and just read read the text without thinking about some of these things, I think you know that that's where we get into into kind of some some crazy ideas sometimes. Uh, some how do I don't say this? You know, bored. I, I don't. People who say they get bored by the Bible, it's like you just haven't dug. You haven't dug enough. I think. You yeah, know, yeah. There's there's a lot going on here when we think about it, and these are these are real people dealing with the same kind of issues that we're dealing with. You know, okay, yeah, we weren't. It's not like we were necessarily a part of a Jewish community, and we we let we left the faith, but the same kind of pressures sometimes uh, in our culture uh, or similar kind of pressures, I could say, about faith and about uh, about the way that this affects our everyday lives and all this kind of stuff is still still relevant, I think. Yeah. And, you know, if you're thinking about, as you talked about in Hebrews, these Jewish Christians, like even leaving practices, like yep. what, are pra- what, what are practices that makes us Christian? And, you know, like yep. and it's, it's those, it's this constant, there's a push, like but, how, how, Right. What's core? What's yeah? <laughs> yeah. We what's had right. with Ragsdale. Like, yeah. what's core? Uh, what what's not core? And and yeah. how do we go from there? Well, this is great. Good. Yeah, this is good. I think this is, um, you know, and again, as we talked about when we're recording this right now, Ukraine is a very yeah. fluid situation right now. Um, n- nothing good is n- right. no really good news is coming right. out of there, and and uh, you know to to look at God's word and and see this like there is the. The person who is bringing peace right. is still, you know, yep. the, 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 the throne the of peace is The desire of the there. nations is still there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Brian, thank you so much. All right. Good to see you, Ryan. Yeah, have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. You can find show notes, links, and more at thebiblebistro.com and find links there to follow us on social media. Next week, Brian and I are welcoming back Dr. John Weatherly from Johnson University. As we are preparing for Easter, John is going to walk us through the passion narratives in the Gospels. It is sure to be a great conversation. Thanks again for listening and sitting with us at the table in the Bistro. We'll be back Tuesday.